0: You know, when I was growing up, there was one thing that I never, ever doubted, and that was that my mom and dad loved me. Now, I've got to be honest as a kid, I I've got to say in retrospect, I didn't understand how much they loved me, but I never doubted their love for me. It wasn't until I grew up and matured and got married and had kids of my own that I really began to understand the kind of love that my parents have for me. You see, when my kids were born, that's Jill and then Hillary and Sammy and Seth. uh, When they were born, I was overflowing with love for them. Just didn't think I could love them any more than I did the moment they were born. And yet now, all of these years later, I love them even more because I've gotten to know them as people and their personalities and all of their little quirks and uniquenesses. And I just absolutely love my kids as you love yours. In fact, there's not anything any of those four kids could do, not anything that would cause me to stop loving them. In fact, the more trouble they got in, probably the more I would love them and the greater my concern for them. And as my children, there's not a single resource that's available to me that I have that I would not willingly make available to them. All of my financial resources, all of my material possessions, any wisdom or experience that I have, it is all at their disposal for the asking. Anything they need to become the healthy, holy, effective, productive uh, citizens of God's kingdom, uh, I'll give it to them. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to give them every little thing they want. You know, if my son wants a Maserati or something, they're going to have to hold off on that. I'm not going to give you that. But when it comes to growing them as healthy people, it's all theirs. And you see, it wasn't until I grew up and had kids of my own that I was able, in retrospect, to understand how much my mom and dad loved and continue to love me. You see, oftentimes, understanding love is a function of growth and maturity. The more we grow, the more we experience... The more we mature, particularly spiritually, the greater our understanding, the greater our grasp of love. You know, I think as Christians, one of the things that we probably struggle with the most is actually believing that God loves us unconditionally. Regardless of what we've done, regardless of what we do or what we think or how terrible we act at times, I think sometimes as Christians we have difficulty grasping the reality that God wildly and unconditionally loves us no matter what. I've met too many Christians that walk around with this heavy sense of false guilt and this sense of shame for past sins and mistakes. And and constantly feeling this, this burden and not really the joy that comes from knowing that you're loved unconditionally by God, our Heavenly Father. There are people that still deal with doubt and joylessness. And I think that's primarily a function of not being able to understand and personally own the reality that God loved you individually, unconditionally, amazingly. It's one thing to understand cognitively the love of God and to say, God so loved the world. Oh, sure. God loved the world. And he sent his only son. Yes. But it's much more difficult sometimes to personalize it for us. I think it's also very difficult for us if we don't understand the love of God for us to understand the power and the resources of his that are available to us to become the people he's created and called us to be. We need to understand his love so that we can really then believe that all of those powers and resources are available to us to be the people he's created us to be. Well, this morning, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter three, because in this passage, Paul really prays for us as God's children, that we would understand some of these essential truths. Now, remember, I said that he wrote this letter in two parts. The first part is chapters one through three, where Paul really teaches us and tells us about who we are positionally In Christ, he wants us to understand who we are as the children of God, as the church and all of the riches that are ours. The next week, we'll begin the second half of the letter uh, in chapter four. where Paul says, because of who you are and all that you have available to you in Christ, this is how we should behave. This is our practice as a church. But here at the very end of the first part of this letter, Paul ends with a prayer. Paul prays that we would somehow be able to grasp and get a hold of these amazing, life-changing truths that he's just shared with us in the first part of this book, in chapters 1, 2, and the first part of chapter 3. And so I'd like you to read uh, along on the screen if you'd like, or follow along as I read. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Because this is Paul's prayer, not only for the Ephesians, but for us as well. And listen to what Paul prays. He says, again, he's done this several times now for this reason. He's saying, because of everything I've told you about who you are in Christ and what God has done for you in Christ, for this reason, I kneel before the father The love of Christ is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, in this prayer, Paul makes two requests. There're two requests regarding two essential truths that we need to understand: truths about God's love and about God's power. And the very first request that he makes is he wants us to understand God's surpassing love for us in Christ. He desperately wants us to understand God's surpassing love for us In Jesus Christ. Now, I got to tell you, when I first met my wife, Sue, I fell in love with her right away. I mean, and then I fell head over heels in love with her. It only took me three months uh, to ask her to marry me. And we've made it so far. And I just loved everything about her. And when we were first dating and engaged, I could not be with her enough. I couldn't get enough of her. I mean, I loved the way she looked. I loved the way she smelled. I loved the way she talked. I especially loved the way she walked. I mean, I loved everything about her. And I remember finally making it to our wedding day and standing on the platform with the pastor and, and getting ready to exchange our wedding vows. And she was in this gorgeous white wedding dress and she was just radiant, beautiful. And I remember standing there and going, This is as good as it gets. I mean, I could not imagine loving her any more than I did at that moment. I mean, I thought it's all going to go downhill from here, you know. Uh, It doesn't get any better than the white wedding dress, you know. Well, I was wrong. I love her more today than I even could imagine loving her on our wedding day. And you know the reason why? It's because now I've lived with her for 26 years. And I know her much better In so many different ways than I did 26 years ago. I mean, I understand her loving nature a lot more. I understand more about her compassion and her hospitality and and her spirit of serving other people and seeing it with our kids and and just the amazing woman that she is. I've also learned. She has some little unique traits that kind of endear her to me, like uh, constantly uh, rearranging the furniture uh, to where you get up at night and you run into something because it wasn't like that when you went to bed. Sometimes that actually happens. Just when you get used to the coffee mugs in this shelf, they're in this shelf. And as soon as you get used to that, they're under the counter someplace. I mean, and, and that kind of is endearing. It didn't used to be, but I've learned to love that. (laughs) <laughs> but you know the better you know someone the more you can love them and that's really again because it's a function of growth and maturity and paul is praying that somehow we would be spiritually invigorated and fortified and grow to the point that we would know god more So that we could love him more and experience his love on an entirely different level. Look at what Paul prays here in verses 14 through 19. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen, may grow you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? Paul desperately is trying to communicate that he wants us to experience God's love at a whole new level. When he says that he wants us to be strengthened in our inner being or in our spirit, it is a word that means to be fortified, to be invigorated, to be kind of on the grow in a sense, so that we can understand God in a whole new way and experience his love in a whole new way. When he says he wants us to know the love of God that surpasses all knowledge, that sounds kind of contradictory. How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? Well, there are two different words there. One word for know is that first word is experientially know God. And the other word has to do with wisdom or cognitive understanding. He wants us to experience God in a way that surpasses cognitive understanding or just knowing theological propositional truths about God. He says he wants God to actually dwell in us and just flow all over us so that we might be filled to all the fullness of God. It's the picture of a glass and a pitcher that just never ending fills that glass and the water just spills over and over and over. And that's the picture that Paul is painting of how he wants us to experience the fullness of God's love. You know, let me ask you this morning. Do you personally have an understanding, an experiential understanding of the incredible, unconditional love that God has for you as his child this morning? No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've thought, no matter how many times you've failed, if you have trusted Christ as the sacrifice for your sin, God loves you unconditionally. In fact, God loves all of us, the world, unconditionally. And when Jesus came, the Bible says Jesus didn't come to judge and condemn the world, but to love and save the world. Judgment will come someday. But right now, God wants to manifest and show His love to the entire world and the earth. And one of the ways He does that is by our experiencing His love as His children and then allowing it to flow out of our lives and splash all over everyone around us so that they begin to get a sense and and just a taste for the love of God that is theirs in Christ. You know, I think sometimes some of us, maybe we're brought up in a family... Where maybe it was a little dysfunctional. Maybe we didn't see loving parents loving us unconditionally. We knew our parents loved us, but, you know, we never experienced that real unconditional love. And maybe we were disciplined a lot for every time we made a mistake. You know, we were disciplined. And so today our image of God is this big, you know, old, ugly, mean old man with a club just waiting for you to step out of line. So we can just whack, you know, that was a good one. Do it again, you know. I mean, the reality is there are some believers that have that image of God and live with this constant sense of guilt and fear that every little thing they do wrong, God is just gleefully ready to club them on the head. Well, that's not God. God is love. And he loved the world so much that he gave his only son to communicate that love so that we could experience in a personal way. And like I say, judgment will come when we die. We will be judged for our sins. When Christ comes, the world will be judged. But right now we have the opportunity to experience and to share God's love. Maybe you're here and you committed a sin uh, In your past, maybe it was a real serious sin and no one knows about it but you, not even your spouse. And you've kept this secret for so long and it just fills you with a sense of shame. And you truly question whether God can even unconditionally love you in light of that sin that you've committed. You need to understand that when Christ hung on that cross... He accepted all of God's anger, all of God's wrath at that sin that you committed. Christ bore it all. And now we are the object of God's love. He became the object of God's wrath and anger for all of our sin so that now we could be the objects of his love. That debt was paid in full. You have an enemy called the accuser who wants to keep accusing you, wants you desperately to feel that shame so you can't experience God's unconditional, overwhelming love because he knows that we're not going to share it with anyone else. If Christianity is just a big guilt trip and just fills us with shame, why would we want to share that with anyone else? But God wants us to understand how incredibly much we're loved In Christ Jesus. In fact, if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 103. Psalm one hundred and three. I'm going to begin reading in verse nine through fourteen. Here, this is a psalm written by King David. Now, King David knew a little bit about sin. He committed some pretty serious ones, you know, adultery, murder, cover up. And that was kind of that's just kind of a starting list of his sin. And yet David somehow was able to understand the love of God in spite of his sin. And listen to what he writes, beginning in verse nine of Psalm 103. He will not always accuse us. That's God. Nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sin deserves or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we're dust. That's amazing. But look again at verse 11, where David says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is God's love for those who fear him. Have you ever stopped to just ask yourself or wonder how high exactly are the heavens above the earth? I mean, really, what are we talking about here? Well, let me just give you a little example here. You know, if you were able to travel at the speed of light, 186,282 miles per second, That would mean, in one year's time, you could travel six trillion miles. Hard to even get your arms around that. But if you could travel at the speed of light, and you were were able to get in a spaceship and kind of just go on a little exploratory journey of the universe, your itinerary would look a little like this. After four minutes of traveling at the speed of light, you would be at Mars. Mars. In five hours of traveling at the speed of light, you would be at the former planet, Pluto. 4.3 miles of traveling at 186,282 miles a second. And you would be at Centaurus, the the nearest, brightest star beyond our sun. 120,000 years of traveling nonstop at the speed of light. And you would be at the far edge of our galaxy, the Milky Way. If you were able to travel two million years nonstop, six trillion miles a year, you would be at Andromeda, the next Galaxy like our own. If you kept traveling 22 million years at the speed of light, you would reach the next cluster of galaxies. And if you traveled 186,282 miles a second for 8 billion years, you would finally reach the farthest known galaxy to date. And you would still just be scratching the surface. Of the heavens that God has created. And he says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us. It is incomprehensible. It is unending. It is unconditional. It is a wild abandoned love for us, His creatures. And He wants us to understand that and experience it because nothing will radically change our lives and our church more than simply understanding and experiencing the love of God for us. And that's why Paul prays so desperately. It's almost like he can't find the words. The height, the depth, the width, the length. I mean, he can't even say it. That's how great God's love is. And he wants us to understand that because it will change the way we live. But there's a second request. He wants us to understand another basic truth. And that is he wants us to understand God's abundant power towards us in Christ. Not only this amazing love, but because he loves us so much, he's made all of his power and resources available to us. Listen to the benediction of Paul's prayer. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You know, Paul is saying here that God's power is immeasurably more than we can even imagine. I mean, think of the most powerful thing on planet Earth that you can think of. Think about, you know, when I was in Washington State, uh, just graduating from college, Mount St. Helens blew uh, in 1980. I was about 175 miles north of Mount St. Helens. And when that thing blew, it woke me up from a dead sleep and I thought the world was coming to an end. It sounded like someone was throwing a basketball against the wall of my room. That's how loud that sonic boom was. It blew tons of earth off the top of that mountain, square miles. It just, the power just took these huge Douglas Spurs and just bent them like toothpicks. And that is like, Not not even God lifting his little pinky. I mean, his power is so far beyond what we can even imagine. I mean, think of it. God just spoke all of that into existence. Didn't even have to work up a sweat. He is the creator, sustainer, all-powerful being of the universe And he loves us immeasurably and all of that surpassing power is available to us to be the people he created us to be, to experience the life that he created us to experience and to do the things that he has called us to do as the church. So then why is it we're not experiencing or accessing that kind of power? Well, let me ask you, when was the last time you ever asked God for something impossible? when was the last time you really asked God to do something that was completely and totally beyond your human ability to do? And that if God didn't intervene, it wasn't going to get done. Now, I'm not talking about just praying that God would enhance what you're already doing. You know, some, and that's important. I mean, we pray, God, you know, help me as I preach or help me as I teach or help me in this business deal or, you know, give me wisdom and insight as I do this. But you know what? We can still do that, with that without God's help necessarily. But when was the last time you asked God to help you do something that you weren't going to ordinarily do to give you the courage, to give you the strength or whatever? When was the time you last asked God for something impossible, really, for YZ Evangelical Free Church? Something that was just so far beyond even, you know, asking rationally. I mean, this is God's church. He died for everyone here. He died for everyone in this community. Don't you think that God really wants his church, his people to just turn the world upside down for him? Well, why isn't happening? I think sometimes because we aren't serious about asking God for this power that's available to us. And if we would ask and be sincere about it and persist in our asking, I have absolutely no doubt that God would do some of those things that we ask for if they're in accordance with his kingdom plan. Now, again, this power is not available for you to amass personal wealth. That's not what it's about. It's not about God zapping a lake place up onto one of the lakes. And look what he did for us. You know, God is probably not going to help you win the lottery. Maybe, maybe not. But when it comes to doing what he's called us to do as his children and to experience all that he desires for us to experience, the power available is limitless. It's just that we ask for far too little from God. We expect so little from this father who loves us so immeasurably. And I think we don't ask because we don't believe he loves us as much as he says he does. He wants to do things that we can't even imagine asking for. But we need to because that power is available to us. You know, I met with a pastor friend of mine a couple of years ago and we were with some other pastors and he began telling us a story about how uh, he had to kind of make a personal ask of a wealthy member of their congregation for this capital campaign. They were building a building, and part of that campaign was the senior pastor kind of making personal requests of certain people, and he was wringing his hands and nervous as all get out and was praying like crazy, God, give me the courage, because this is not something he was comfortable doing. He was going to ask this person for $500,000. So after weeks of just nervous hand-wringing and praying and all this, he finally got the courage to ask the guy to lunch, and he said, yeah, I'd like to be happy to go to lunch and hear about the project. And so they went to lunch and the pastor, you know, gave his best spiel and and he was praying under his breath the whole time and and uh, just nervous. And finally, he got to the point where he said, I'm going to ask you to give a five hundred thousand dollar gift to this project. And he said, the guy immediately looked disgusted. And he said, I knew it. My worst fear, you know, and the guy pulled out his checkbook, wrote a check, on the restaurant table for $500,000 that gave it to him. And then in kind of a huff, he pushed away from the table, got up, and as he was walking away, he turned back to my friend and said, you know, next time, don't waste my time with a lunch if you're just going to ask me for $500,000. I was expecting you to ask me to do something significant. And my friend was like... (laughs) I insulted him because I only asked for 500,000. I mean, this guy thought he was going to be challenged to give something big. And evidently for him, that wasn't all that big. I have another friend I just met with this last week who sat down with a guy and, and had the courage to ask for a million dollar gift. And the guy immediately said, yeah, well, I'll give you a million dollars for a church building project. I mean, we so minimize the resources that God has available to us. That's exactly how we kind of ask God. It's kind of like, do I dare ask Him for this? You know? Well, yes. And we should ask Him for more. We need to ask him in this search process that he would miraculously find the absolutely best person to fill this pastoral role that will help Wyzetta Free Church be all that God has planned and designed it to be. And God can do that. And he can do it in a timely fashion so that after the search, there aren't any mistakes. There's not any buyer's remorse on anybody's part. And it can be just an awesome experience for everyone. But we've got to start asking and praying for that if it's going to happen you see there is nothing that god won't do for us as his children as his church if we will ask him and we can't be timid because the resources available are so far beyond our comprehension that we just need to begin believing that he really does love us and that he really does want to give us Those things that we need to be the people he's called us to be, to do the things that he's called us to do. Let me just share two action steps with you this morning. The first one is this. Every single time this week that you look into the sky, whether it's morning or night, just allow that to remind you that as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much God loves you in spite of everything, in spite of how you feel about yourself. God loves you that much limitless love for you or every time this week that you hug your kid or you hug a grandchild or someone and you're just filled with that amazing love that you have. Remember that your heavenly father feels the same way about you times gazillion. That's how much he loves you. Just allow that to remind you that as a human parent, if we can love our kids that much, it doesn't even hold a candle to how much God loves us. Secondly, let me encourage you to ask God for something for Wizetta Free Church that is just radical. That is just way out there. Something that you maybe are even afraid of verbalizing because people would think you're off your rocker or something. But if you think that it would benefit the church and be a blessing to the community and enable the church to do the mission that God has called us to do, ask Him for it. Write it down and start praying for it regularly and trusting God for it. Maybe even have the courage to share it with others and say, let's start praying for this. I mean, I could go through account after account after account of people who trusted God for things that were humanly impossible and God delivered. As people persisted in prayer, asking that his power would come to bear on a situation that was vital to the health of the church or to reaching a community. So write something down this week. Think about the search, whatever it is, the children's needs. I mean, you know, that's really not even, you know, an issue to God. I mean, you know, that's just us not taking our responsibility. But I mean, the things that God wants to do. Finding a new children's pastor. I mean, God can do it. We need to ask. And then thirdly, just you know, continue to regularly bring that before God. Maybe, again, enlist other people so that we can truly experience His love and experience His power to do all that He's called us to do and be all that He's called us to be. So let's pray that that would happen. Father, we want to thank You this morning. For Paul's prayer for us, it's obvious from his prayer that he is incredibly passionate that we would somehow be strengthened enough in our spirit that we would understand and then experience your amazing love for us. And Father, you also want us to know the power that you have, all of your resources that are available to us as your children. To grow, to be the people that you've called us to be, to experience the life you've called us to experience and to do the work of the kingdom that you've called us to do. Father, help us to be courageous and bold in coming to you with our requests, knowing that you love us and all your resources are available for that purpose. Again, Father, we'll trust you to do things that we can't do in our own strength. We'll even trust you to help us experience your love the way that Paul prayed for us. So, again, I just pray that you would wash our consciences clean, that any shame that we're carrying around would be taken away, that, Father, we could truly experience your love. In Christ's matchless name, amen.